We, we love you. We pray for you often. Love to see what God's doing. I, I love what the Lord's building here. You know, in Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus says this. He says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail. Don't forget that it's Jesus who builds this church. The church is not a building or a brand or an organization. As much as this is an amazing space, and I think you guys have done so well, this space is not the church. You are the church. The church is people. The church is the ecclesia. It's the people added by Jesus together in a local area for the purpose of glorifying Jesus. And as much as spaces and names and those sort of things can be helpful, that's not the church. They're just tools in the task of seeing his kingdom come. Our purpose, our call is to glorify him. It's to become more like him. It's to see his rule and reign come to those around us. And it's Jesus who's building his church. That should be so liberating and so freeing for us this morning that it's actually not up to us to build the church. In Acts uh, chapter 2, it says this, And the Lord, the Lord added to the number daily those who are being saved. It's Jesus who builds his church, and it's Jesus who adds those who are being saved we're the body of Christ. And Ephesians says this, growing up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so it builds itself up in love. I want to encourage you this morning and take some of the pressure off that it's not up to you to build the church. It's up to us as believers to become like Jesus to glorify him, to pursue intimate relationship with him. And actually, he says it's his role to build the church. And that's a beautiful place to be in. If I had a title for my preach this morning, it would be that the church that Jesus is building is a generous people. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you open with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9? So the context of this chapter in 2 Corinthians is that Paul's urging the Corinthian church to follow through with a, a commitment they had made to take up a, a collection or an offering for suffering Christians in Jerusalem. The Christians in Jerusalem were under persecution and they needed some help. And the, the church in, in Corinth had said, actually, we can help. And the, some of the other churches in the region, we can help to ease their suffering. And so Paul's urging them to follow through. Um, and what's amazing is that the church in Corinth was actually one of the the earliest churches to embrace this idea of being generous and actually raising funds to help those who were in need. To say, actually, we can be part of, um, of, of helping, not only to help the, those in Jerusalem, but to motivate others in our region to be generous as well. In chapter 8, Paul actually says that other churches in the region had given well beyond what was expected. I think that's amazing. But here's the thing, and so don't, don't, uh, don't lose me in the start of this, as Paul often does in his writing, he moves from the practical to the heart. So he's talking about the church in Corinth bringing this offering for, the, for the, the believers in Jerusalem who are being persecuted, but he doesn't just stop at the practical or the natural. He moves very quickly from the, the practical to the heart. It's not just about money. If, if, uh, so I, I don't want to get caught when I said the church is a generous church. 
I'm not going to make us take up another offering or, you know, this is not, the, the heart of this is not just about money. It's actually about the heart of the giver. It's actually about a heart of generosity that brings spiritual growth far beyond the physical needs that are there. I want to read all of 2 Corinthians chapter 9 this morning, if that is okay. And verse 1 says this, Now it is superfluous, superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know, you, uh, I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, um, saying that Acacia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. What an amazing testimony of a church. He said, but I'm sending the brothers uh, so that our boasting to you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I have said you would be. Otherwise, some of the Macedonians, um, if some of the Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing for you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance for the gift that you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an an extraction. The point is this. Whoever sows, I mean, we've all, if you've been in church for, for a while, you've probably heard this. But stay with me and hear the heart of this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give, in his heart as, uh, give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency... In all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. He's moving here from finances to something greater. You will be enriched in every way. To be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only in supplying the needs of the saints, but also in overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contributions for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, Thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. This is the heart of a generous people. We see here what generosity does in our lives and the fruit that it produces in others. See, when it comes to generosity, too often we stop at the money and we miss the bigger picture. The point is not just money. The point is that as believers, we're called to live a generous life. The point is that everything that I have and everything that you have, if we're following Jesus, is for Jesus. You say amen this morning. I don't mind you agreeing agreeing heartily with me, like Joe. Joe has placed himself in the middle of the aisle. I love that. Well done. (laughs) He didn't want to be confused as possibly sitting too close to you after your description of Sam being your husband. It's about living a generous life. Everything that I am is for Jesus. In Luke 16, verse 15 to, uh, to sorry, verse 10 to 15, um, it's in the context of Jesus telling a parable about money. But he says this, 
one who is faithful in very little or in that which is least is also faithful in much. The one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, talking about money, who will entrust you with true riches? What are true riches in the kingdom? It's people. It's not money. It's people. If you, have, uh, if, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Then it says, The Pharisees, who are lovers of money, heard these things and ridiculed him. And he said to him, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. For what is exalted amongst men is an abomination in the sight of God. Jesus says that money is that which is least. It doesn't feel like that to us, though, does it? Especially in the times that we're living in. It doesn't feel like money is that which is least. But he, Jesus says money is that which is least. And he links faithfulness with money to being tr entrusted with people. That's a challenging thought to me. Generosity starts with giving that which is least, giving money, but it releases us to give that which is most valuable, which is to give our lives. I heard someone say that we will never lay down our lives for the sake of the gospel if we're not willing to lay down our finances. There's a test of our heart that starts with what is least in the kingdom. It seems like it's, it's, it's huge in our, the culture around us because it's such a challenge for us. But Jesus says, in the light of the kingdom, this thing of money is that which is least, but it unlocks us to be able to be generous with our lives. It actually unlocks us to be able to reach people. And th here's the thing. Because it's such a big thing in our culture, God uses money to test us in some areas. You go, oh, th uh, does God test us? Well, this is what he tests us with. If we trust him as our provider or if we trust ourselves. The way we approach our finances, and remember, this is that which is least, and we're getting to the bigger picture of heart, which is our lives and reaching others. But he uses that which is least to test us if we trust him or whether our trust is in ourselves. To test if we're faithful with that which he's entrusted to us so he can entrust true riches to us. He uses it to test us if we can steward his resources. He uses it to test us if we'll sow what he gives us, if we'll stay open-handed. Because if we won't sow with finances, that which is least, how will we stay open-handed with people? And he uses it to test us if he can trust us with true riches, with people. All of this is, will we steward Will we, will we look to him as our provider? Will we stay open-handed, not just with money, but ultimately with people? Because the way we respond in this area, which is so important in the culture around us, and it's what we hear about all the time, is ultimately directs our heart and shows us how we'll respond with people. Generosity, I think, should start here in the church, but it should never stop here. Whenever we preach about finances or generosity or giving and it's only about the church, I think we miss the kingdom context, the bigness of what God's called us to. It should start here, but it should never stop here. 
if the, if the point of this preach is you should give money to the church and that's it, we've totally missed the heart of the kingdom. Because unfortunately, most of the people around us think that the church exists only to get their money. Which if you've been in church and you get the heart of the kingdom, you know that's like the least of what we think about. But so often we've misrepresented at best the heart of the kingdom when it comes to this area. The reality is that we, we train and we direct our hearts here in this place, which sets us up to be a generous people out there. When people look at the church, at believers, because remember the church isn't an organization or a building. When they see us, they should see a generous people. They should see a people who are not just generous with our finances, but willing to lay down our lives for them. We discipline the desires of our flesh here in the safe place that is new gen, that is the churches that we belong to, which frees us to be generous with others out there, to lay down our lives out there, to not be, uh, not be uh, held captive by the desires of our flesh when we go out in 45 minutes time or in an hour's time. That actually, when we come together and we encourage and we worship, we're dealing with stuff here this morning that releases us to be fruitful for the rest of the week. I think it's interesting that the Pharisees in that, that scripture we just read in Luke chapter 16, that Jesus calls the Pharisees lovers of money. You ever think about that? Do you ever see that link? He actually says the Pharisees are lovers of money. And their response to Jesus talking about this was to ridicule him. What's our heart response? When I got up this morning and said, my title is that the church that Jesus is building is a generous people. What was your first heart response? Oh, here we go again. We can be honest. You can laugh. I, honestly, I've sat in meetings and they get up and like, you know, we're, we're talk about generosity. Like, here we go. Yeah, show me the money. Like, okay, everyone put, the, put your wallet away. He calls them lovers of money, but their response was to ridicule him. Matthew 6, verse 25, it says this. Jesus is, is talking. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. As I was preparing, I felt really strongly that this is for somebody today. Do not be anxious about your life or what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? It's talking about our purpose here. Isn't life more than these things that we see in front of us that we, that we get anxious about, that we actually spend so much time thinking about and worrying about? Verse 26 says, look at the birds of the air, how they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? He's speaking to identity. Are you not more valuable to the Lord? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed as one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Oh, hang on, Jesus. 
<clears throat> now Jesus is making this a faith issue. He's actually saying, where's your focus? Because faith is not just some ethereal thing. It's the focus. It's the gaze of our soul upon the eternal God. He's saying, what are you looking at for your salvation? Because uh, actually, hang on. Oh, you of little faith. Verse 31, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, those who don't follow Jesus, seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now we get to focus. Now we get to the heart of this, the kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things, all the things that we need, that we see, that we spend so much time thinking about, he says, will be added to you. These are the things that stop us being a generous people. Anxiety about what we need in our life. What we'll eat, the bills, the petrol prices, the interest rates, the clothes. I mean, isn't this really real? I don't know about you, but I have, I have spent some time in the last few months thinking about interest rates and petrol prices and food and, you know, cost of living. And it's what we hear constantly on the news and on the radio and how are we going to make ends meet. And in addressing these things, Jesus goes after the heart. He says, isn't life more than this? Don't we have a greater purpose? Aren't we called to something bigger than to worry about the, the bills? And I know that it's real. I mean, you know, we, I'm, right now we're all thinking about it. But he says, actually, we have a bigger calling. We're a kingdom people. We're pilgrims passing through. We have a calling to reach the lost. We have a calling to impact, to bring, to bring the kingdom of heaven to this earth, to reach the nations. And he says, aren't you more valuable than this to the Father? We have a different identity. We're not those like those around us who have to be locked into this. He says, actually, you're more valuable. You have a greater purpose and you have value. And then he speaks to our faith. He says, where's your focus? What are you looking at for salvation? Are you looking to Jesus or are you looking to your finances? Are you looking to Jesus or are you looking to your investments? or the equity in your house, or your job. Most of us like to say, no, no, of course we're looking to Jesus. Until we need a little bit more. And we need to take that shift on a Sunday. And we need to, I mean, it's worked out in our priorities. What does our life actually look like? And then he goes to the heart. He goes right for the heart. He says, what are you seeking after? What's actually the desire of your heart? I believe the Lord is asking these questions of us this morning. Not to try and manipulate us to give more, but to set us free. So that unlike everyone else around us, we're not held captive by the worries of the world. Because he starts and says, I know you need these things. But we have a greater purpose. We have a greater calling. This is not your identity. This is not what you're called to live in or live under. I want, you, want to set you free from this worry. Because I know you need it. 
But when you seek after my kingdom and my righteousness and you walk in intimacy with me, I will be your provider. These are the questions we have to answer if we're going to be a generous people. If we're going to be a church that Jesus is building, who has impact, who's able to not only survive as a church, but meet the needs of the community around us, to be a generous people, to lay down our lives, we have to first answer these questions in our heart. They're not the easiest questions to face. But we have to face them. We have to answer the heart questions. So what does generosity look like? As we face these heart questions and we go, we see the challenge of it. All of us, myself included. What does generosity look like? Firstly, it looks like Jesus. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We give because he gave. The, the, the very starting point of salvation is because God gave. I think it's the height of presumption to think that God should give to us, but we should not give to others. Generosity looks like Jesus. And when, we struggle, when we're struggling to be generous in our lives... I think we need to look back to Jesus and say, God, let me see your heart. Give me your heart for this situation. Lord, give me your heart. And you know what? Often, generosity is from the place where we don't have anything, but he has to provide. I'm not saying make more out of less. I'm saying God has to come through supernaturally. Say, Lord, give me your heart so that I go to you in prayer, so that I intercede, so that actually I say, Lord, I don't have anything to give into this relationship. I don't have anything to help this person, but Lord, would you provide? And I guarantee when that becomes your prayer, you're going to see a release of supernatural provision, of energy, of time. Remember, it's not just about finances. We're not just talking. We move beyond that to the heart stuff. Generosity looks like Jesus. Secondly, generosity looks like Laying down my life for another, my time, my preferences for somebody else. In John 15, 13, it says, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. He links love to laying down our life. We lay down our lives because he laid down his life. You know, spending time reaching out to others. Caring for people is generosity. Having a coffee with somebody, opening our homes, discipling somebody, making meals, phone calls, sending text messages, giving my time to love others, giving my time to outreach. That's the heart of generosity. That's the bigger picture that we're getting to here. Yes, it might start in the area of our finances because that's what directs our hearts. That's what actually sets us up here in this context to say, actually, right now I can deal with some things that allows me to step into this realm of generosity out there. But it's so much beyond that. It's all of the things that we give our time to. Serving. It's generosity in action. Laying down our lives for the sake of others. If you have a group that comes in and meets in your home, you are generous. If you make a meal for somebody, you are generous. If you get on the phone to see how somebody's doing, that's generosity. 
When you outreach, when you share the gospel with somebody, that's the heart of the Father. That's a generous heart. When you share a testimony about what Jesus has done in your life, there's a, there's a moment of generosity in that. When we understand this, and we understand the kingdom picture, it becomes so much easier because, you know, for me, I go, actually, money is that which is least. I know we need it, but I'm going to honor God here because I want to be able to honor God here. And so I'm going to bring, I'm going to bring tithe because you know what it does? It breaks this thing in my life that my money is my provision. God is my provision. Whether I have much or I have little, he's my provider because actually I need him to provide so much more than just the money. I need him to provide the energy and the grace and the love and the time to pick up that phone call again to that same person who's called or, you know, respond to that text message again from the same person who's texted. No, no, you guys, you don't get that? No? <laughs> Can we be honest? I mean, we have to be honest. If we can't be honest here, we won't be honest there. So there's people that are hard. There's people that are difficult. We, um, we often spend time as a church going out and ministering on the streets. Um, and... In Dandenong, it's probably a similar um, space to, to Werribee at times. And there's many people with need. And it can be difficult to go to sit with the same homeless people again and again who actually you've set up places for them to stay. And you've brought them meals. And you've brought them sleeping bags. And every time you bring it, they lose it. Or it gets stolen. Or it gets thrown away. Or they move into a place where they get kicked out because of the, just the same habits of brokenness. We need grace to keep loving people, to keep being generous with them and not go, I gave you one sleeping bag a year ago. No, well, you know what? If they need one now, they need one now. They need to see Jesus. What does generosity look like? It looks like bringing my loaves and fishes for Jesus to use and multiply. What's in your hand? Love that there's a crowd of 5,000 to 20,000. Who knows? 5,000, they say males could have been 20, 25,000, including um, wives and kids and everyone. And they're saying, how are we going to feed these guys? And the disciples are like, it's too much money. We don't have enough money. It would be like a year's wages to buy food for this. Have you ever been in that like, situation? Like, oh, we just can't do it. And then there's this one little kid just full of faith. Hugo, just come, come up here for a minute. Be like, you know, Russ and Joe and I are going, okay, how are we going to do this? And we got, we're going to reach the community. And this one little kid just comes up and is like, excuse me. You know, we're having this like big, you know, we're having a powwow about like, oh, we've just got to, what are we going to do? And come on, Clint, maybe you can get some businesses involved. And, and this one little kid goes, excuse me, excuse me. I've got loaves and fishes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Good job, mate. They're seeing the need and they're seeing the problem and going, but it's not enough. Yet one kid goes, I've got some loaves and fishes that you can have. And Jesus supernaturally multiplies what he brings. Someone said this, sometimes we have to do the ridiculous to see the miraculous. What's in your hand? Sometimes we can see the need and we go, I don't have the resource or the time or the energy to meet that need. But what is in your hand? Maybe you only have an hour. Then give your hour. Maybe you only have a lunch break. Maybe you can only give one lunch break a week. Then give your one lunch break. Maybe you only have $5. 
you're walking by someone on the street and you hear, feel God prompt you, then give him your $5. You go, well, what difference will it make? Maybe it makes the whole difference. I'm going to tell you a story about a guy who is in our church, baptized, been in the church for almost two years, 18 months. He was sitting on the, on the steps at Dandenon Plaza outside, drunk as a skunk. We were out there ministering, and one of the guys in the church sat down next to him and said, can I tell you about Jesus? And he's like, nah. Like, can I pray for you? Nah. He's like, well, can I, can I bless you? Yeah, sure, whatever. So he puts his, hand, puts his hand on him. He says, Lord Jesus, would you come? The guy goes, what have you done to me? He goes, uh, it's the Holy Spirit. And he goes, I'm sober. Like instantly. And God touched him. He was able to lead him to the Lord right there. But he didn't just lead him to the Lord. He said, let me come to my house on Wednesday night for a meal. Gave him his phone number. He didn't come on Wednesday night because he was homeless and his phone went flat. We later found out that another Christian couple, a couple days later, was walking along the street and felt God say, put that guy in a hotel for 12 days. So unbeknownst to the guy from our church who had prayed for him and led him to the Lord and couldn't get a hold of him, somebody paid for him to stay in a hotel. And he's able to have a shower and get cleaned up and charge his phone. Called Dave. Sorry, I said his name now, but anyways, Dave. Went to the house for a meal. He's gone to the house every Wednesday night for a meal since. He was able to get a job, a, a room to stay in. Came to church. There's been some, you know, there's been some, some ups and downs in the journey. He, he said, I want to get baptized. He comes up out of the water and he says, can you see that? And we're like, it just looked like water. But we're like, well, what do you see? And he's like, the, 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 the top of the water is just covered with ashes. We're like, what the Bible says, he gives us beauty for ashes. And he's weeping and just like, it was just from one person saying, I only have an hour, but I'll just go sit on the steps with this guy and pray for him. And another couple that said, you know what? We'll pay to put him in a hotel room. And then... The weirdest Sunday morning ever. So we decide, once a year we do a financial review. And it's always the time that, like, there's a heap of visitors that come. <laughs> I don't want to apologize for it because it is what it is. But Sam invites one of his mates from work, and we're doing a financial review. And Sam's like, what the heck? Like, I've got friends coming, and they're finally coming, and you're going to do a financial review in the morning. But part of our financial review is we were just talking about some of the things we've been able to spend money on, and we share all the testimonies of what God's done. And as we're sharing the testimonies, we talk about this guy who's gotten saved and sh said his name, and I see one of Sam's friends looking over and, like, tearing up. And I'm like, what's going on? As soon as the meeting's end, he jumps up, he runs over to him, and he gives this guy a massive hug. And he goes, I thought it was you. A year before we had met him, this guy saw him begging out the front of a Coles, gave him his puffer jacket, went home, and felt like God say, empty out your wardrobe and go take all your clothes to him. He emptied his wardrobe out. He took all those clothes to him, and he said, my family and I have been praying for him every day for a year, and I've gone back to that Coles, and I've never been able to find him again. It's you. And they both stood there weeping and hugging each other. 
How amazing is God in that process of reaching that one person? Multiple people who at any point could have said, no, it's too much. But what's in your hand? For one, it was a puffer jacket. For another, who had nothing except I can pray for you. Come to my house for a meal. To another couple who said, you know what? Actually, we can afford to put you into, into a hotel because God's told us to. It's not the formula, by the way, because we've, we've paid to put other people in a hotel and they've trashed it and got kicked out. And the <laughs> hotel said, don't ever bring that. <laughs> it's amazing. You start to think, oh, that's a great way. Literally, there's another couple guys and they were like, this guy needs help. And we're gonna... So they paid to put him in a hotel and he did drugs and trashed their hotel room. And um, the hotel was like, please don't ever bring him back. And we, you learn in the process of doing evangelism that there isn't a formula. It's about hearing God's voice. But there's a heart of generosity saying, what's in your hand? Mary says to the servants at the feast, fill the stone jars to the brim when Jesus turns water into wine. Bring the loaves and fishes to feed the multitude. Gather as many empty jars as you can because I'm going to fill them with oil. Sow in a season of drought and famine. Give from a place of lack. Sometimes we have to do the ridiculous to see the miraculous. You don't ever have a testimony of the miraculous until we step out. And in the moment, it doesn't always make sense. And one and one doesn't always equal two in that moment. When, when Jesus says, go get all the empty jars you can, there was no oil to fill them with. When Mary says, fill the, fill the, fill the, um, the, the stone jars up to the brim, there was no wine in them yet. He filled them with water. It doesn't always make sense. But bring your loaves and fishes. For Jesus to use and multiply. What does generosity look like? It looks like sowing seed for the sake of the kingdom. It's sowing at every level. I just want to say this. this is the only thing I'm going to talk about on tithe. Is that tithing is not sowing. It's bringing back to God what is already his. It's breaking the hold that money has on my life. It's declaring that he's our provider. It's the starting point, but it's not Generosity. I don't want to get into it all because I want to talk about generosity and not that, but that's the starting point. Generosity is using and investing everything he's given me for the kingdom. It's funny that when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he wants to follow him, Jesus says, go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. People go, oh, well, do I have to sell everything that I have and give it to the poor? What Jesus was saying is that the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Testament where it was a percentage, the New Testament it's everything that you are is his. So I said, oh, yeah, but, but tithing's not in the New Testament. I'm getting into it, but I didn't want to get into it. But yeah, great, then give everything you are. Tithing's not in the New Testament. That's, 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 I mean, I can argue that you on that point anyways, but that's not what I want to get into. Really, Jesus just shifts the thing from there's a percentage to it's everything. Everything you are is his. Your house is his. Your clothing is his. Your family is his. Your car is his. Everything he's given you, you're called a steward for the sake of the kingdom. So yes, we can bring a tithe because it sets up our heart and it directs us, but it's not sowing. It's not generosity because generosity is everything. It's sowing seed for kingdom harvest. All of my stuff, my gifts, my talent, my serving, my loving, my laying down my life, my finances, my time, I sow it all for the sake of the kingdom. What does generosity look like? It's doing whatever he says, no matter what the cost. 
Jesus turns the water into wine. Mary tells the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. What does he tell them to do? Fill the jars up to the brim. If I was in that, that situation, I'd probably have been like, this is ridiculous. This is stupid. What's the point? Have you ever had that argument with Jesus when he told you to do, do something? Be honest. Yeah. Many times. I, so I have. God, this is ridiculous. This is stupid. It doesn't make sense. We need wine, not water. Um, why am I filling these jars up? This is a waste of my time. Just get somebody to bring the wine. No, no, because he wants to partner with us in the process of seeing the kingdom advanced. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I like to think about, like, the, sto the stories in the Bible. I think about, like, he could have just got someone to bring wine. It could have been a guy passing by on a cart. And Jesus could have said, just go to the guy outside. I mean, he says that to the disciples about the upper room. He goes, just go to a guy that has a, has a donkey and tell him that I'm going to use his room. And then the guy's like, yeah, great, come with me. Why does he say to, say to, the, say to the servants, go get the jars and fill them up with water? Because he wants to partner with, with us in the process of seeing the kingdom advance. He, he, he wants us to see his supernatural provision. It still would have been supernatural provision, but they wouldn't have had to partner in the process. The person partnering would have been the guy with the cart with the wine on it, if that was the story. Jesus says to the disciples when they've been out fishing all night and they haven't caught anything, throw your nets on the other side. Do whatever he says, no matter what the cost. Jesus doesn't make sense. We've been out all night. This is our job. We're fishermen. You're the carpenter. You stick to carpentry. We know the fishing. He's like, but if you want fish, throw them on the other side. They say, I mean, literally, they're like, we don't think this is going to work, but because you said it, we'll do it. That to me is grace giving because there's a lot of times where God's told me to do things and I'm like, honestly, God, I don't think this is going to work, but because you said it, we're going to do it. And they catch a haul of fish so big that they can't even pull it in just themselves. Often it doesn't make sense, but are we willing to do what he says no matter what the cost? Sometimes we have to do the ridiculous to see the miraculous. What is Jesus saying to you? What is Jesus saying to you? I don't think you have to be a prophet to say that we're seeing the shaking of the nations right now. If our trust has been in our finances or the housing market, or our investments, it's all getting smashed. And we shouldn't be surprised, because the Bible says it's going to happen. But we're still called to be a generous people. It's actually, I think, in the moments of darkness that the light shines the most. When people become desperate and there's, such, there's an openness. I don't know about you, but I've found... Since the start of COVID, right through to now, so, people are so much more open to the gospel. We found this going on the streets that in, uh, we've gone for years and years. But we had maybe like 10% of people would be like, yeah, pray for me. Or yes, let me talk, you know, I'll talk to you. The rest of them told us where to go. Um, and in not very nice terms. In the last four years... It's been like 90% of people are like, yes, you can pray for me. Yes, tell me about Jesus. Yes, I'm open. Um, and it's only maybe 10% of people. This has been a shift. Because in the darkness, the light shines brighter. We're still called to be generous. We're still called to bring what we have in our hands and let him multiply it. 
what we have in our hands might be a bit less than what we had before. But that's fine because he's not any less than he was before. I don't think it would have mattered whether the, whether the little boy brought you know, two loaves and five fishes or three loaves and 15 fishes or one loaf and three fishes. The point was he brought what he had and Jesus multiplied it. I believe we're coming into a time again where the church will be the sanctuary. Think about the medieval times. Have you ever heard that term like sanctuary? Where people would come, they're being pursued by, you know, by the bad guys that you think of like the movies. And they're like, they come to the church building. Like it was like the old sort of building. And they're like, I plead sanctuary. And there was this like understanding that if you're in the church, like they couldn't get you. They honored that like the sanctuary in the church. I think we're coming into a time again where people will turn to us as believers to help in times of need. They come to our houses. They come to our places of gathering. They come to us for help. And we'll be able to give them not only physical help, but the gospel and the power of Jesus. And yes, there's physical help as well. I love this phrase we use often. It's the goods and the gospel. It's not just goods. It's not just gospel. Ultimately, they need the gospel. But we can, we can meet some needs as well. Let's not be so self-righteous that we're like, oh, if they just receive Jesus, then everything will be perfect. Sometimes they need some practical help too. It's goods and the gospel. And we'll be able to give that to them as they come. We're not called to fortify our houses, to stockpile, to try and keep everyone else out. We're called to open our doors. We're called to give away what we have. We're called to watch Jesus multiply and use it for his glory. I literally have a friend in South Africa who was doing um, like a leaders gathering. They'd expected 80 people to come. They bought enough meat for 80 people and 200 people came. They had, and a lot of these guys had walked like eight to 10 hours. And they're like, well, we can't not feed them because they don't have any food. It was like the disciples. Like, what are we going to do? And they're like, well, there's nowhere open because now, you know, and so they, he said they had a tray, like a foil tray with all like, like minute steaks in it. And he goes, I wasn't even, I didn't even have enough faith to take the cover off. He left the foil on. He said, I just kept putting the tongs in and taking a steak out and putting the tongs in and taking a steak out. And we got to 80 and I was like, I still feel like there's stuff in there. So he just kept doing it. And he said, 200 steaks came out of that foil tray. How amazing is God? I mean, this isn't just Bible stories. This literally happened. And he was like, God, you have to provide because we can't even cut these things up small enough. That would have been me. I'd be like, cut them all in half. Cut them in half again. Everyone have a little bit. Get a bit more. He was just like, I'm just going to close my eyes and keep going in for more. We're called to open our doors. We're called to give what we have and watch Jesus multiply it and use it for his glory. Proverbs 11 verse 24 says this. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched. The one who waters will himself be watered. I feel like it's a prophetic scripture for you guys this morning. A generous people are people who are looking to give freely of themselves for the sake of the kingdom, who bring blessing, 
who water others, who water what God's doing. And I feel like for you as a church in this season, God's saying, will you give freely of yourselves for the sake of the kingdom? Will you bring blessing? Will you water others? Will you water what God's doing? Even out of possibly your place of lack, will you water others and watch me multiply and watch me provide? The one who gives freely grows all the richer. Yet the one who withholds what he should give only suffers one. The church that Jesus is building is a generous people. New Gen, you are called to be a generous people. And watch the amazing impact that you're going to have. Can we stand together this morning? Do you mind if I pray, Russ? Is that all right? You know, generosity was modeled for us when Jesus gave, gave up his life by dying the most gruesome death on the cross to pay the price for our sins so that you and I could be forgiven and restored to relationship with God. And for some today, I don't know you all in the room, but for some today I'm sure that you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. Today, he's calling you to follow him, to repent, to turn away from the wrong things in your life, the sin in your life, as the Bible calls it, and to turn away from living for yourself and come to Jesus for salvation. He gave his life for you. Generosity starts with being set free by making Jesus the Lord of your life. He died for you. He was raised from the dead so you can be free from sin and death. He wants to bring you into his kingdom today. He wants to mark you with his presence. He wants to give you a new identity and a new calling so that you can be a generous person. If you know Jesus is calling you today to come to him, I'm going to ask, would you come to the front? If you know he's calling you to make him your Lord and Savior, it's not a private decision it's not a, like, don't let anyone know. This is life-changing. And if that's you today, would you come to the front? Because there's some guys who would love to pray with you. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. But you know how we start is how we're going to continue? It's public, and our faith is called to be public. I believe today is the day of salvation. Let's wait one more minute. If there's no one, that's fine but I always want to give an opportunity. If there's anyone, if there's anyone, don't wait. Today is the day. As a church, there's a radical response to generosity. And like I said before, we're not going to take up another offering. That's not our response this morning. Today I'm going to ask you this though. Will you lay down your life? New gen. Will you lay down your life? Jesus says, if you want to be my disciples, what do you say? Deny yourself, take up your cross, die to yourself, and follow me. Can I ask this question? Is everything that you are and all that you have for Jesus, or are you living for yourself? Are the decisions that you're making for the sake of the kingdom, or are they just for yourself?
you might need to respond this morning by honoring the Lord with your finances. Maybe you need to respond. Maybe you need to start bringing tithes and giving offerings. That's a starting point. That directs your heart. But this morning is bigger than that. This morning is a call to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. If we'll do that, I promise you, not only will you see the miraculous provision of the Lord, but you'll see an amazing kingdom impact that ripples far beyond these four walls. We're here this morning to make heart adjustments. Some of these things are not easy things to hear. I understand. But I hope that every time we gather, we're expecting God to speak, and we want to be transformed, and we want to change. So where is your faith? Where is your focus this morning? I believe Jesus wants to break financial anxiety off of people today. If you've been carrying anxiety about your finances, would you respond to him? Maybe just where you are, if you would lift your hands. I believe he wants to bring freedom this morning. If you know there's an area of your life that you need to surrender to Jesus this morning, you know you've been holding on to it for yourself, then would you do that today? Surrender to him. Do some heart business with him right now. Lord, we thank you for your power in this room. We thank you for your presence here today. Lord, I declare right now, in the name of Jesus, freedom from anxiety in the area of our finances, freedom to be a generous people. Lord, we seek first the kingdom and your righteousness. Lord, adjust our hearts where our focus has been pulled onto other things. Bring us back to you. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you say you know the needs that we have. And I pray for an absolutely supernatural release of provision over this church in Jesus' name. Lord, over families, over marriages, over businesses, over this church, over each person. Lord, I pray for, Lord, for jobs, for those that are looking for jobs. Lord, I pray, Lord, for new contracts for businesses. Lord, for a release of your provision so that we can be a blessing, Lord, beyond. Lord, not just so that we can have more, Lord, but so that as a church we can release more. Lord, in the face of the shaking we see around us, would we be a people who open our homes and open our hearts and who live generous, who bring what's in our hands to see you multiply. Lord, I pray for unexpected tax returns. Lord, I pray, Lord, for, for pay rises, for increases. Lord, I pray, Lord, for a release of energy. For those who are feeling weary from ministry, Lord, weary from caring for the lost, weary for helping the broken, Lord, would you release energy right now? Lord, a fresh grace to sit with the hurting, to sit with the broken to bring the goods and the gospel. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord.